The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition PFT PM Podcast. And we are taking a guest today right out of the gates, in large part because I'm too lazy to splice all this together after the fact. Not that I do it anyway, but nevertheless, our good buddy from NBC Sports Boston, he will now have six Super Bowl rings in his collection. He is Tom Kern. Hello, Tom. Congratulations on your team winning another Super Bowl. Mike, I'm an objective chronicler of all that happens here in New England, so really there's no congratulations or in order because I am right down the middle and I don't have a rooting interest. I just want to see what happens in the game. I don't care what happens. Did they put you up to criticizing the team so that you would provide them with false incentive to win games? Is that what happened? Was the Boston media in on this? Like, were you guys asked to crap on the team so Tom Brady would be extra motivated and take more vitamins and get more pliable and and be more determined? Because apparently, for all the science and nutrition and workouts and skill, whether or not he's successful depends upon whether or not there's somebody out there that says he sucks. No. And I think that one interesting aspect of this, too, is people continue to mock the idea that Tom Brady needed extra incentive and that anyone ever disparaged the New England Patriots or Brady specifically. Here in New England, because of the team's success and the need to somehow continue to move the needle and have things to talk about, quite honestly, talk radio here in town, our television station, NBC Sports Boston, you know, we do have a tendency to say, how great is your concern level, dot, 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 with everything. And they got picked apart all season long, and they didn't have to look hard or long for incentives, whether it was Sony Michelle being called a bust and that he sucks and he blows after three weeks, or Kyle Van Noy being mocked as a bad human. Right on down the line, there were oodles of instances where they um, you know, had things to gripe about. You surprised yourself when you used the word oodles, didn't you? I surprised myself because, Mike, I'm back home now, and I just looked across at the hearth here at the fireplace, and I see what my dog, Bo, has left there. And that's what what brought about the pause. Oodles of something that used to be noodles, is that what you're saying? (laughs) Oodles of doodles. (laughs) (laughs) But he's such a good dog that I'm not even going to talk to him about it at the moment. Hey, uh, you know, I had a friend uh, growing up, actually. I know that sounds amazing that I have any friends. But there were five boys in the family and had a tiny little poodle, like the smallest poodle they make. And the rule was if the poodle crapped on the floor, whoever noticed it had to clean it up, which is not a good rule because nobody ever noticed it. And it would sit there indefinitely until it like flaked away. Yep, so. 100%. I mean, I, I, I will never forget when Bo won, the original Bo Curran uh, was a beagle and I stepped barefoot on one and it came up like a fuzzy pumper from Play-Doh. Oh, God. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, I've got a full yard of them, and sometimes I'll scoop, and sometimes I'll just let nature take its course. But, uh, yeah, Bo was not happy that you were gone for eight days. Was he aware? Because I don't know what concept of time dogs have. I think that, like, if you're gone for 45 minutes, it's the same as being gone for 45 days as far as they're concerned. But but when you got home, was Bo happy, pissed, or a combination of the two? Oh, he was very happy. I put a video up because Bo has actually turned into a – uh, cottage industry for me and has actually helped my brand greatly as some guy tweeted back at me your likability has gone through the roof since you involved your dog i can see that i can see that so he's actually helped me but i put that out on twitter and he was happy as hell to see me made a bunch of noises but i'm not happy about this and i'll send you a picture if you want to post it with the um the podcast when it comes time sure sure the picture of the the, the dog crap sure yes yep uh, maybe that'll become the official logo of the uh, PFTPM podcast. <laughs> it would fit. Okay, so thank you. Uh, I, I I did find it surprising though that, that Tom Brady is so candid about how he doesn't want to hear people call him the greatest of all time. He wants to be criticized. He wants to be doubted. And even at this stage of his life, after everything he has accomplished, he is still, I mean, that humanizes him more than anything else. He is still at his core, no different than anyone else. He gets pissed off when somebody says he can't do something, even though he's proven he can do everything. It, it is amazing. And, and one thing that's interesting about this Patriots team is they needed something to play for. 2016, it was clear what they needed to play for. They needed to get retribution on Roger Goodell for suspending Tom Brady. 2014 was all about that team in some way, you know, book bookending the first dynasty, proving something that they could do it again. Um, the year, 2017 wasn't about anything. It really wasn't. And it was a dysfunctional year as a result. There was... You know, the, the season-long pissing contest that unfolded between Brady and Gronkowski and Belichick and training methods and who was going to go where and get what credit for what, they needed something to play for bigger than themselves, and they found it as they came back and realized, wow, we don't really have that great a team. We didn't do a good job building it, and we're going to have to invent what we're going to be about. But the greatest thing about this team, Mike, to me, that hasn't been talked about enough they had one freaking guy on IR that mattered, Eric Rowe. He's the only guy who had ever contributed to this team before, and they were healthy all year. That's why they won the Super Bowl. Well, and that is such a key ingredient. And you see every year the team that has the fewest games lost, total games lost to players on IR, that team tends to be pretty good. It's definitely a factor. And sometimes it's luck, but sometimes it's just superior training, strength and conditioning. When we watch games on Sunday, Rodney Harrison has a very unique skill. He can spot while watching up to nine games at once a potentially serious knee injury, and he'll whack me when it happens. And we'll watch the replay, and 95% of the time, Tom, it's like, oh, my God, look at that guy's leg, and he gets up and he's fine. And that's not something, I mean, to a certain extent, it's genetic, but I think you can with the right preparation, with the right training, with the right methodology, with the right everything, you can escape serious injury, whereas someone else who's maybe less flexible, less prepared, less pliable, less whatever, is going to suffer a serious injury. And I do think that while luck is part of it, there is a certain amount of preparation, nutrition, hydration, and stretching and stretching and stretching and everything else that allows you to maybe walk away from something that otherwise would put you down for several weeks, if not the rest of the year. 
And that's why all the sniffing and snorting about the TB12 method, when it comes down to it, look, Alex Guerrero is not sitting in a, you know, dark cave with crystals and waterfalls, and you're walking through beads. It's a simple rehab facility slash gym. And what he is involved in is hydration, diet, deep tissue massage, resistance bands as opposed to weights, and that's... You know, that's why Brady is evangelical about the things that they have done, because it is apart from what general, you know, 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers methods were. Throw a bunch of weights around and then put whatever into you can to make yourself stronger. So now it's different. It's now about, okay, I'm going to put avocados, and I'm going to get my right nutritional uh, balances and find out what my body pH is, and I'm going to sleep in a float tank, and I'm going to do, you know, a hyperbaric chamber to help myself or go to, you know, the deep freeze tanks. It's fascinating. And honestly, Mike, the Patriots have been at the vanguard in all of this, whether it's working with um, the Navy SEALs to try and find different things out, hiring nutritionists, doing individual stuff on players, and that's where they're all heading. It's, it's deep, deep science. Yeah, and look, it's working. At least it worked this year, and the Patriots right. ultimately yeah, defied. That's right, Mike, too. I mean, some guy gets hit and he ducks his head the wrong way, and, you know, he has a neck injury. That's, there's, okay, that doesn't matter how hydrated you are. You did something, and, and you know, you're in a bad spot. So I, I don't want to undersell the fact that luck involves itself quite a bit. Well, and here's the other side of it, too. And you, this is like next-level analytics that would require very specialized viewing and, and careful study of game film. Uh, and I don't know that the coach's film that you can get through NFL's Game Pass is going to get you enough to do this, but it's almost determining whether and to what extent Patriots players are schooled in avoiding the kind of contact that can cause injury. And, and just think about the game Excellent plan. Excellent question, and I yeah. actually have an answer for you. Go ahead. Why did Jimmy Garoppolo only make it for six quarters of football in 2016 when he replaced Tom Brady? Because he did something stupid against the Dolphins. He undersold how quick Kiko Alonso was coming at him. He tried to throw a ball that he either should have thrown out of bounds or turtled. And as a result, he exposed himself to, a, to an injury, and he suffered the injury. So he only got a cup of coffee in front of everybody and played brilliantly. And there are players who put themselves in harm's way over and over again. Brady talks about that with his receivers. You know, he lived to fight another play. What's the difference between four yards and six yards if in those last six feet you're taking, you know, a basic kill shot to get those two extra yards? Go down. So I think a lot of that is fascinating and you know they practice falling Brady practices falling and that was part of something I asked him about you know against Pittsburgh after they lost that game he was falling away on the final two throws and I buttonholed him in the locker room and I said look I hate to ask you this but you looked like you were shying away from contact and avoiding contact on those last two throws and he looked at me he's like first of all I wasn't you know I did not want to end the game with the ball in my hand taking a sack and you know, uh, Bud Dupree was buzzing around. He goes, but, you know, secondly, you know, we're not afraid of anyone. I'm not afraid of anyone. Um, but the point he was making even larger was, what was I supposed to do? It was the first game without Josh Gordon. We're at the 22-yard line. They have seven guys in the end zone. And we're sitting there, honestly, New England, the media, 
I'm asking Tom Brady, who I, and he would consider me a friendly, why he was being such, uh, why he was being kind of tender. So those are the things that he was listening to. Those are the things that makes him say, even among friendlies, wow, nobody believes in us right now. Well, but think about it. 25 years ago, when Jim Rome calls Jim Everett Chris, and Chris mm-hmm. Everett loses a gasket for being called Jim, or the other way around, you know what yep. I mean? Right. Anyway, nowadays it's smart to do that. Nowadays we, we ridicule the Carson Wentzes and Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world who decide they're going to be tough guys with this macho facade and get themselves injured. The smart players understand and can harness their instinct and get their ego and testosterone under control so they don't, in the moment, do something that exposes them to risk. And that's smart. The same way the Patriots avoid penalties, they avoid injuries. And that's all part of the bigger picture of coaching. It's not just technique. It's not just X's and O's. It's not just a malleable game plan that is determined by the specific intricacies of each offense and defense they face. It's ensuring that guys can play. And I think that's part of the genius of Bill Belichick. You know, people say, why don't people copy what the Patriots do? Because there's no one like Bill Belichick who can think of everything and can handle everything. And if there was somebody else out there with that capacity and ingenuity and brilliance, they would do it. There isn't. That's how they've rigged the system. They found a guy who can break the system with his brain. You're right. And they've also, because of what he did in a short span of time with a less than stellar roster in 2000 and 2001, really the team didn't get hit its peak until 2004 in terms of where guys were, but he bought time for himself with those early victories and successes. Um, and Robert Kraft, having already been embarrassed by the Pete Carroll era after overstepping with Bill Parcells and then manipulating, he was going to let Bill Belichick do those things. So when you hire a bunch of guys from Rutgers and you draft badly in the second round, or you have guys who end up with an off-season, off-field situation like Aaron Hernandez did. Um, you know, all of those things are stacked up, and they could—they would be hanging offenses anywhere else. But the backlog of experience, the, if they don't work out, but, you know, I, I kind of went far afield. But Belichick's able to take chances that others aren't because of the success, success he had early on and because of the success that he had with what were perceived as risks, he continues to take them. And that's why what guys are willing to do, their versatility and their intelligence, really, really matters. Whereas other guys, well, why'd you draft this guy nobody heard of in the second round, Devin McCourty? Or why'd you spend the 24th overall pick on a guy you could have gotten in the fifth round in um, you know, whoever? Gronkowski with a broken back. And... It works out because he rolls the dice enough so that seven out of ten times he hits. Well, and that comes from winning three Super Bowls in four years. You have the pelts on the wall at that point, and you can get away with a lot. Think about it. They went ten years between Super Bowl wins. Now, I know they got back to the Super Bowl twice, and they had that 16-0 regular season and almost a 19-0 perfect season in the interim, but there was never any clamoring that, oh, he'd better win another one or he's going to be in trouble. I mean, he was able, and I think part of it comes from having the team on the doorstep every single year, getting to the Final Four every single year for eight straight years. What they've accomplished, and this is what struck me the other day, Tom. I wrote something about this when it dawned on me how much extra football they've played over the last eight seasons. 19 extra games over the last eight years. Now, I know not all the guys have done it, but every year – 
to put in extra regular, not extra, an extra practice weeks, extra games on top of the regular season, and to go back to zero and zero, no matter the outcome, whether it's a, a, a heartbreaking loss, whether it's a, a Super Bowl championship and a parade, they still reset to zero and zero, and they flush last year out of their brains. And there's no other coach that can get the locker room to collectively flush last year's result. For every other team, what happened last year hovers over this year, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether the expectations are low, whether the expectations are high. Everyone else carries last year into next year except the Patriots. A million things I'd like to echo and and elaborate on there, too. One being that how often has a Super Bowl loser rebounded the way the Patriots have? I'm writing that, you know, in the next column I do, just to do the research, but we all know how horrible the Super Bowl loser usually fares. Well, Patriots come back and win the next year. It doesn't happen. Um, But it is hard for these guys, and they do talk about it all the time. Look, he kills us in minicamp. He kills us in the training camp. Um, he's got us running hills. He's got us doing extra meetings. Remember when Malcolm Butler, after the Super Bowl, uh, showed up late for OTAs and they didn't put him on the field for two weeks? <laughs> um, he had just went to meetings. They didn't let him practice. I mean, those are the things that he you know, will hold over a team. But you have to hire a certain player. Well, why did Malcolm Butler put up with that? Because Malcolm Butler was working at Popeyes before the Patriots helped to find him and give him a role. So there is that level of gratitude with those guys. I mean, Dante Hightower, first-round pick, has only played for Nick Saban and Bill Belichick since he's 17 years old. He gets, and he has told me oodles at times, how difficult it is to play for these two guys over this period of time. But he's also a driven player in terms of wanting to have success. That's why a lot of these guys in the wake of the Super Bowl, you could tell, were thinking about, do I want to do it again? Do I want to do it again? That's why the next few weeks is going to be very interesting. Also, too, in terms of the amount of extra football, Brady's played, I believe now, 41 postseason games. So he's played 19 seasons, 18, uh, 17, because he had a blown knee and sat behind Bledsoe, but he's made up for it with two and a half full extra seasons against better competition than everybody else faces in the regular season. So to me, that's Cal Ripken-esque. And I want to talk, too, about, in that context, about Michael David Smith and a lot of people poo-pooing the idea of, of Edelman as being a Hall of Famer, but I don't want to leapfrog that. Yeah, we'll talk to talk about that, because I've, I've poo-pooed it. I've, I've bo-currented it. Uh, myself. <laughs> hey, let, let me ask you this. Before, let me ask you this before I forget. You got Brian Flores, who had 15 years inside the Patriot Fortress, working in every possible capacity: personnel, offensive coach, defensive coach, and now here he is, a decade and a half later, 37 years old. How concerned should Patriots fans be that this guy is going to potentially take the Patriot way and be the one who successfully takes the Patriot way? to another team in the division? Or will Flores be like so many of the other Belichick tree branches have been and not work out? Brian Flores is up against it, not because he isn't going to be a talented guy or a persuasive guy or someone who can command the room. He's up against it because the team sucks. And Adam Gase got more out of that team than anyone should have. 35-year-old 
Frank Gore was their leading rusher. 33-year-old Danny Amendola was their leading passer. They're going to move on from Ryan Tannehill, who was probably about, you know, the 18th best quarterback in the league, somewhere between 14 and 18. No one ever succeeds in South Florida, period. Why? Because it's South Florida and there's a million things to do. So all those things together, you have Brian Flores walks into. I don't care if it's a combination of Winston Churchill, Vince Lombardi, and Bill Belichick. It's going to be really, really hard to get that team to succeed. Why did you take the job then? Why would you take that job? Because, and he stated it during his press conference, he, he wasn't looking to be a head coach, but the right situation availed itself. So I don't know. I really, I, I don't, I would never want to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins because it's a place where coaching careers unfortunately go to die. I like the Dolphins. I like South Florida. I wish the franchise could do better. But I'll tell you what, when I was reading, I I just remember being struck by this thought when I was reading the Jonathan Martin, um, Richie Incognito, Bullygate case unfolding. Just the amount of chaos and time spent out on the town among the group. And that's what players do, yeah, absolutely. But it isn't like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And it really isn't like that up here in New England. What are you gonna, you're living in Foxborough or North Attleboro. You can go to Fridays, maybe. You can go to Pizzeria Uno, or you can go to Boston and deal with. Down there, there's too much to do. I really believe that enters into success among NFL franchises. You know, that's a great point. And whether you have those uh, those distractions is one thing. Whether or not, you know, your guys give into it. Now, in some cities, they don't have them. But, but the challenge is having the right atmosphere where guys are inspired to avoid those situations. And also, they hold each other accountable. I think that's the key. So, you know, Flora is going to have to find the right leaders or he's going to have to turn his guys into the right leaders. And, and it is going to be a challenge. But he sees something there. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether it works for him because really, other than Bill O'Brien, right now, I think part of it too is I think Matt Patricia may be fine in Detroit if he can get people to buy in. I don't think people want to buy in. Right. Uh, I think they 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 like the uh, you know uh, the the lifestyle that goes with being mediocre. You don't 100%. have to work as yeah, hard. That, that, that's a very good way of putting it. And and everybody, players, employees. And media, the media doesn't like Matt Patricia because he's, you know, he's kind of hard on them too. And it makes their job a little bit more difficult and they don't like that. So I, I like to think that Flores, I got the impression just he's smart enough to understand how you need to get along with people. And there is a balance there. And yes, you need people to buy into what you're doing, but you also need to make them want to do it. You can't force them to do it. Uh, well, look, and let's be, let's be candid about something too. There is uh, an approach. There is an appearance. There is uh, an aura that that different individuals give. Part of the reason that Josh McDaniels had such a hard time um, getting buy-in in in Denver was he was this squeaky little fuzzy-cheeked guy, MFing players all over the place. You know, one of the reasons that, you know, I think that, that Belichick succeeds is nobody knows what he's thinking and he just doesn't talk to them he just walks down the hall you can be the only other player walking past him he won't even look at you so he's got that mental weirdness that goes on that that puts people off off balance and i think that flores in both appearance and demeanor and the fact that he was a former linebacker in his seriousness 
you're right. I, I, I think that it will matter because of the way he has a commanding presence. You know, one thing about Belichick, and he gets a hard time for the way he comes off. He comes off as arrogant and aloof and disinterested and smug and arrogant and aloof and disinterested, and I keep repeating them. Alternating. I think he's got a little touch of that social awkwardness that I know I've had in the past where you just don't have with someone you don't know that effusiveness that you would have with someone you do know. And he's not comfortable in those settings. Like, look at the exchange between he and McVay. Did you watch the Showtime inside the NFL? You did, right? Uh, No, I don't have Showtime. When you do watch it, because I know you're a football fan and you will, well, McVay is being overwhelmingly, exuberantly praising of Belichick. And Belichick, if you look closely enough, is just uncomfortable with the praise. To the point of, okay, all right, yep, yep. And it's not that McVay was doing anything wrong, and it wasn't disrespectful, and it wasn't less than genuine. It's just Belichick doesn't want to be told how friggin' great he is. It's awkward. He just wants to talk to people or listen to them, not tell them how great he is. Also, he's getting ready to tear the guy's heart out. Right? He's getting ready to tear the guy's heart out and show it to him. So it's like. Yeah, exactly, too. I mean, he's like. It's like the guy. 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 It's He's complimenting the dude in the black in the black hood, right? Right, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Hey, what surprised you more, the Patriots only scoring thirteen or the Patriots giving up three? Probably the only scoring thirteen aspect because um, they should have scored more. You, know, you missed a field goal. You, your quarterback threw a pick. Um, they should have scored more points. It probably shouldn't have been that close. They were determined not to let Aaron Donald destroy Tom Brady, though, right? They didn't take chances. They didn't put Brady back right. there for five or six seconds because they didn't want to let Donald wreck the game. So they went with a very conservative offense. I mean, you run the ball on third and eight. That tells me you are very mm-hmm. aware of Donald and Sue, and you're not going to let those guys destroy you, and you're going to go conservative, you're going to be careful, and you're going to trust your defense to shut down the greatest show-offs on turf. And it's amazing that they held them to only three points. I, I agree with you to a large extent. And I think that the mindset was, ironically, they had a similar mindset last year, but I think the mindset was, it's not like these guys are going to be able to go out and score 30 points on us. I think that that was what Belichick was, was feeling, and McDaniels and Flores, too. Look, we're watching Jared Goff here. He's got two outside receivers who are nice players and deserve all the accolades they're getting. But we can handle big, fat running backs because we have big, fat guys in our front, and we have big-ass linebackers. We don't have 230-pound Mark Barron running around. We have 265-pound Dante Hightower. We can handle these guys. Let's just not screw anything up on offense, and they're not going to feast on us. The ironic thing is, they felt the same way about the Eagles, and that was the stupidest thing they could have done. They took Nick Foles less than seriously. And, you know, it's not like they're going to score 40 points on us. No, they scored 41. But Interestingly, they, that was what surprised me more, was that they were able to be stopped. But again, when you look at New England, it's not like they're walking around with this great complement of players. They have a 41-year-old quarterback and a 33-year-old slot receiver and a limping 29-year-old tight end who got you know, whacked pretty good before halftime and was limping around. And a, and a very good running game that they made and a good offensive line, but that's about it. 
but they they scheme it up and they they come up with a way to McDaniel's does especially to figure out okay so what I might be oh for my first three with three K's looking on my first few possessions but it doesn't mean the whole game has to suck I'm going to come up with something and he did and isn't it amazing when you consider what the Eagles did last year coming up with plays that the Patriots had never seen before mm-hmm. that we didn't see any of that from Sean McVay that Sean McVay, I think, is a master play caller within the confines of his offense. He knows what to call at the right moment to make an impact. But he had two weeks to get ready for this game, and I feel like he treated it like a normal game. And I know some coaches say that's what you do, but when you've got two weeks to get ready for Bill Belichick and he's got two weeks to get ready for you, you better have something in your back pocket that you're ready to pull out that is different from anything you've ever put on film before because they're going to know everything you've put on film. Ernie yep. Adams is going to have it all cataloged and broken down, and not, there's not going to be a damn thing that surprises anyone from the Patriots, so you better come up with something new. And you have to, but you have to sustain drives to figure out what they're doing. What's their personnel? How are they matching us? What are they doing with their pass rush? How are they playing us in the gaps? And if you go three and out, you got no evidence. You don't have anything. That's why those longer drives, seven or eight, that don't even result in points, you've at least gotten some information. That's why a compressed first half and a compressed football game was death for the Los Angeles Rams because they couldn't, he complained about not being in a flow. I don't know if he's a script guy or not. I should. I cover the league. But um, he didn't get enough intel on what the Patriots were doing to them defensively, whereas McDaniels got a ton of intel on what, the Rams were trying to do defensively because the drives were sustained. That's a great point. And you got that extra long halftime to make adjustments. So you have the opportunity to really exploit what they're doing and you don't have enough ammunition to figure out what they're doing. There aren't and enough pieces Goff to complete the puzzle. And throws it to Dante Hightower on the first play of the second half. I mean, he's, he's going to be a good player, probably Pro Bowl. I don't know if he'll ever be an All-Pro. But that was, again, what you're looking at in this game. The Patriots are fortunate and it's not diminishing their accomplishment at all, but they're really fortunate the matchup was Goff and McVeigh as opposed to Breeze and Peyton. Well, and Tom, Jared Goff had an opportunity to make a championship throw when Brandon Cooks ran past the safety and put his arm in the air, Randy Moss style, and was all alone. And Jared Goff, one, didn't see it, two, didn't zip it when he did and gave Jason McCourty the chance to run over and break it up. A championship quarterback, a true franchise quarterback, a short list, three, four, five top quarterback in the game makes that throw. Goff didn't. And and here's the thing. People say, well, it gave him experience and he'll be better next time. Maybe he won't be. Maybe no, that's maybe who he is. Maybe it's got maybe it says to you, gee, I don't know if I can trust Brandon Cooks. He let me down three times if you want to spin it that way. And you can, because there is some responsibility on Cooks. I know it was hard for him in that in that moment, but you got to fight a little bit harder. You know, on the, on the touchdown pass that wasn't down by the pylon, before Deron Harmon, that ball, before Deron Harmon hit Cooks, the ball was already going through his hands. He just finished it off. And then he wasn't aware of what Gilmore was doing. There was a blitz on. Gilmore never even looked at Cooks. He dropped straight back and kept his eyes on Goff because he knew the blitz was coming and the ball was going to come out fast. Cooks wasn't aware of that. If you notice on the pick that Gilmore had, all Cooks does is wave his arm when Gilmore jumps because he had no idea what was going on behind him. And that, to me, is another great irony when it comes to team building. Brandon Cooks is a really good player. 
Pro Bowl level player. But the Patriots moved away from him, got a first round pick in return. Meanwhile, the most that they've spent on any player, Brady included, on a per year basis, really, is on Stephon Gilmore. And he's the guy who makes the play, while Brandon Cooks, the guy the Patriots moved away from, is the guy who doesn't make the play. That's a great point. And I remember when they signed Gilmore. I thought, you know, if they're going to pay this guy market value, they've seen him twice a year for five years. They know he has something that they need. And they know exactly what they can get out of him. Ability to check your Julio Jones's um, type players. It's not the T.Y. Hilton guys. You know, those are a pain in the ass, and they'll they'll get the Malcolm Butlers and the J.C. Jacksons and the Jonathan Joneses to deal with them. But it's those all-world level talents that DeAndre Hopkins is that you get concerned about trying to deal with. Um, you know, the the ones who are six three, two twenty, and can run a four three, as opposed to you know the Julian Edelmans who look. If you put Julian Edelman on Stephon Gilmore, Gilmore would have a good day, but he'd get turned inside out a few times too. Is Gronk done? I think so, but I don't know what's up with the Instagram thing. Well, well I didn't see that. What do you do on Instagram? Uh, he and Brady from that party the other night put out uh, Eminem's Shady's Back. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, Liz, who's back? And yeah. then at the end, Keep it's going. That's continued. Good. So, I don't know. Uh, but from my talk in a Gronk last week, uh, and I really think that after the game when I asked him, you know, what he planned to do, and he said, tonight's about the team, tonight's about my teammates, making any kind of announcement now would really be kind of selfish. Um, intimated, at least to me, that, that he's going to be moving on. Yeah, when he says, I'm going to make a decision in a week or two, that tells me he's going to announce a decision he's already made in a week or two, and he's going to find a way to do it that, that gets maximum buzz and sizzle for him and his brand and promotes whatever he plans to do next. And I'm still convinced last year, if they had won the Super Bowl, he was done. And he thought, what, three months about it before he decided to continue to play. And, and here's the other thing, too, Tom. If he decides to keep playing, does Bill Belichick keep him? Because they tried to oh, trade him last exactly year. that's right, and that's part of the reason. I think Gronk's brain was fried this year because he realized that they tried to trade me. They tried to trade me after all I've been through for them, which I can appreciate. You know, his body was racked. He had an unbelievable 2017 season. He acts out a little bit, as he did last offseason, and they said, screw it, let's just trade him. We're all set with this guy. So I think he was like, he's, he's very much a good soldier, um, and that was the first time he ever acted out, really, with the Patriots in terms of doing something they didn't want him to do. Um, and they almost traded him. He's like, whoa! Well, and so, I think I think part right. of it, too, was because he was being ambivalent about playing, that was their way of, of waking him up and letting him yep. know, hey, we don't need you. We can do this without you. And if you're not going to commit to us, then, then uh, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll send you somewhere else. Well, maybe that's part of the reason that the only teams they went to were friendlies. You know, they went to the Niners, they went to the Titans, they went to De- Detroit with their conversations. Um, maybe that was part of it. And certainly Brady's saying, yeah, you're not going to trade him, just so you know, was another part of it, too. All right, before I let you go, you can make your case as to why the guy who's 148th on the all-time catch list and 248th on the all-time receiving yardage list is now a guy who should have a bronze bust with a giant bronze beard on it in Canton. 
Well, I appreciate that you're overstating because that's what someone does to make their case, and I understand why you would do that. Where is Gail Sayers, for instance, on the all-time rushing list? Do you even run for 4,000 or 5,000 yards? I doubt it. But you can't tell the story of the NFL without Gail Sayers. Julian Edelman spent the first five years, and I wrote, full disclosure, wrote a book for the kid. I never would have thought of him as a Hall of Fame quality player, but until you start to factor in what he has done in the postseason, you can't tell the story of the NFL without talking about 2010 to 2020, and that has been a period in which Julian Edelman was the most important offensive player aside from Tom Brady. He has seminal catches in huge games, the juggling catch against the Atlanta Falcons, the go-ahead touchdown against the Seattle Seahawks, the MVP performance now in another Super Bowl. He threw a touchdown in a game that they were losing to the uh, Baltimore Ravens. He at one point was one of, and he's probably still in the top five, highest punt return average in NFL history. He at one point was number one. So from 2013 when he became a starter because he learned how to play the position after he came into the freaking league, which no one else does, from 2013 through 2018, having missed a season with a torn ACL and four games with a PED, we can do whatever we want with that, he has been incredibly productive, compares to anybody else that we want to toss up there. So when we look at how long has he done it, shit, oh, excuse me, well, it's a podcast. He's only done it five years, but what has he done from 2013 to 2018? He's been arguably the best receiver. Nah, I shouldn't say that. He's not Antonio Brown. But would you rather have him or Antonio Brown when you need have to have a play made? Well, if I have a system that hinges in large part on a slot receiver who can share a brain with my quarterback, and I know that they spend plenty of time together in the offseason, they have a special connection at many different levels, and on third and six, when it's time to throw the ball, the receiver's going to know where to be, the quarterback's going to know where he is, and the receiver's going to catch the ball, then that's the guy I want. But I look hey, at Edelman... Diminish what they accomplished because we attribute it to a system, and that's what happened with Brady from 2001 through 2007. You gave him Randy Moss; he threw 50 touchdowns. Excuse me, yes, 50 touchdowns, and Moss had 23. You know, we continue to look at this and say, "Oh, well, he's a slot receiver, so it, I can't get my mind around the fact that the catches that he makes are not plucking it off of somebody's forehead in double coverage." It isn't the same as wide receiver. That's why it's called the slot. Wide means wide. He doesn't line up wide that often. It's a different position. And but if I they didn't that, have him, if again, they didn't have him, don't you think again, there'd be there'd be somebody else doing basically the same thing? That they could find um, yeah, somebody else to do Troy what he Brown does. To Wes Welker, to Julian Edelman. But I think that when you're winning championships, and you're right, okay, that's that's fine. But if you have I mean, the entire 1970 Steelers defense is in there, for God's sake. And you're going to look at the Patriots and say that the only guy who will be representative solely from the 2010 to 2020 group of Patriots is going to be Rob Gronkowski? That's it? I mean, I just think that these are, are big game plays, seismic plays, memorable plays, that are a hell of a lot better than anything Kevin Mawai or Aeneas Williams ever afforded people in the NFL. So what are we talking about? Well, and this reminds me of the Lynn Swan case for the Hall of Fame. Lynn Swan did not have... 
he did not have the numbers in the regular season. Now, he played in an era where his numbers weren't glaringly less than his contemporaries, but Super Bowl X got him into the Hall of Fame with all those catches. And it wasn't just the juggling catch down the middle of the field. It was the one where he levitated out of bounds and somehow came back in and got his feet down down the sideline. It was the touchdown down the middle of the field. I mean, he was playing... for 160 in that Super Bowl. And he he also... But he was a guy who led the league in in touchdowns, and he was a guy who was all pro. Edelman hasn't been those things. And Michael David Smith, you know, makes a point politely because that's how Michael David Smith is. But that's the mitigating circumstance. But to me, we can't talk volume with Edelman and be that more, you know intellectually dishonest to not mention that well he didn't come into the league playing the position and he was then stuck behind one of the greatest slots there ever was and since the time that he's done it 2013 through 2018 he's been as productive as any wide receiver slot receiver receiver in the game he's an offensive weapon that should probably be considered not ushered in without conversation should probably get strong consideration for the Hall of Fame, certainly deserves to be in the top 25 when his time comes. And I would, you know, he deserves to be in that top 10 group of conversation when they sit down in that room. If is he that never so takes, wrong? Is that so wrong, no, Michael? No, listen, if he never takes another snap, who had a better career, Welker or Edelman? Edelman. Really? Yeah. I mean... You can produce. It's great to have 123 catches, as, as Welker did. But, you know, as Welker says to me, I make that catch in 2011 100 times out of 100. I didn't make it that time. It'll Still haunt me bad the rest throw. of my life. It was a bad throw. Edelman wouldn't have caught that pass. It was oh off my target. God. You're choking. I'm not choking. Go back and watch it. He had to jump you don't and think lunge. I live here. I cover the team. I've yeah. never watched it. It wasn't a great throw, but he didn't try tried not to throw him into contact. Well, but still, still. It was, I, it was, I, he had both hands on it. Besides, Edelman's taller than Welker. He wouldn't have had to jump so high. Hey, okay. So here's my take on Edelman. The idea that all of a sudden there's this push to put the guy in the Hall of Fame, I think, is a little bit prisoner of the momentish. My point is the book is still unwritten. Let's see what mm-hmm. he does over the rest of his career. He can add to his stats. He can climb both lists for career receptions and receiving yardage, and he can continue to close on Jerry Rice for all-time postseason catches and postseason receiving yards. And if he would end up with more postseason catches than Jerry Rice, that may be enough to get him in. If he ends up with more postseason receiving yards than Jerry Rice, and I don't know what the gap is with catches, I think it's 36. But if he if he ends up as the top pass receiving total number of catches and yardage in the postseason, it's going to be hard to keep him out. I just don't like this idea that all of a sudden he has and enough hay in the barn to get to that's Canton. That's what it, this is about. That's what this is about. This is blowback to Boston homerism, and everything that pops out of here is, uh, you know, bronze-plated, and we do everything unbelievably and put the whole team in. No, and I that's get that not backlash. it. That's not I do. it. I get the pushback on that. You're right. Can't send them all with David Andrews, the Hall of Fame center now. No. But the blowback and the pushback on the Patriots when it comes to, to Edelman, I think if this was, you know, is Vaughn Miller going to be a, a, a Hall of Fame player? He's going to walk yes. in. Yes. He's going to walk in because he was a Super Bowl MVP. No, no, hey, that's a part Super of Bowl it. MVP. Edelman Super Bowl, had a PED but, but here's just the like Vaughn Miller did. Hey, um, hey, hey, Edelman has, has authored three postseasons in which he had massive contributions. How many has Miller had? Here's the thing. Well, you can only control so much of whether or not your team gets to the postseason, 
right? Miller has been a dominant player for a period of years. And, and I plucked and, him out of the air because he's a layup Hall of Famer. Right, right. But here's the thing. I mean, with Vaughn Miller, he's got three guys trying to stop him. You game plan to stop Vaughn Miller. Does, <laughs> yeah, really? yeah. Who game plans to you stop got, Julian you, Edelman? Who, who game plans to stop Edelman? They all do. That's what happened. Then why did the they single cover him the whole game? The Atlanta Super Bowl. Why did they single cover him the whole game? There was no Gronkowski on the field that day. They tried to take Edelman away. They did for a while. That's why Robert Alford had a touchdown going the other way because they were doubling Edelman. But still, the guy makes a stupid, ridiculous catch over the middle that extends a drive and gets helps to get them a touchdown. I, I don't know, Mike. I, 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 you I, know, here's Edelman is hurt by a couple of things, and one is this. The Patriots have done such a great job of assembling a roster of role players who are largely robotic and anonymous that there really isn't that, you know, like you think of the Patriots defense in this past five-year window, and it's not like you have the Joe Green, the Dwight White, the guys who jump off the page, the Jack Lambert, the Jack Ham. I mean, where are these guys? And I think that's a testament to the coaching staff and the personnel department that they keep finding guys who come in and get it done, and then they move on, and somebody else comes in and gets it done, and nobody rises above anybody else, and it's team, 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 and it makes it easier to pay and manage your roster when you don't have five guys who are destined for Canton on the defensive side of the right. ball. And, and you take Dante Hightower, Jamie Collins, and Chandler Jones, okay? Hightower is a brilliant player on the field and in the mind. But nobody else knew what to do with him. He hit free agency like the Steelers bought him some cupcakes, or the Jets did, and tried. but then they lowballed him because they didn't know what he would do to fit with them. So he ends up re-signing with the Patriots. Jamie Collins could tell he wasn't going to get anything um, from New England, so he basically tried to freelance and got his ass shipped to Cleveland. Chandler Jones, the Patriots, are like, yeah, we're not paying for what he's going to command, so let's get out of here before we can. He's gone out to Arizona, puts up a lot of sacks. He's, he's getting those all pros. He's getting those Pro Bowl honors that everybody thinks are so important. His teams are winning four games a year. So I think there's something to be said, too, for the guys who get to the postseason, and when they get to the postseason, they make a big difference. If you're chewing up a bunch of the salary cap, as Chandler Jones might be doing, well, then you're hurting somebody else. And I know that's not what we're supposed to think in a capitalistic society, but sorry, the NFL is a socialist model. I have an open mind about this. I just didn't like the fact that all of a sudden people are coming out of the woodwork saying, Julian Edelman Hall of Fame, Julian Edelman Hall of Fame. Can I tell you what happened? There was this kid, Doug Kide, from Nesson, New England Sports Network. He mentioned, you know, looked at the, the statistics, tweeted something out. And then I think he said, wow, look at this. I wonder if Edelman will deserve Hall of Fame consideration, which then got bastardized into, as we do up here in Boston. Yeah, Edelman is a Hall of Famer. And then it sounded like the entire area was trumpeting Julian Edelman should be in the Hall of Fame first ballot. Maybe some people feel that way. I just feel the guy should at least be talked about because of those signature moments in the biggest games that you can't tell the story of the league. Isn't that what Peter King says all the time? Yeah, but there's a lot of people. I don't like that standard. There's a lot of people you can't tell the story of the league without. You can't tell the story of the league without Colin Kaepernick, and he ain't getting in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) That's a great point. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're 100%. Yeah, I don't like that standard. I don't like that standard. I, I think that Hall of Famers should be obvious, should not even require a debate. And I think that they put too many people in. And, you know, Peter was making the point yesterday on PFT Live that he could have voted yes 
on the final up or down for 13 of the 15 finalists. So he's confident that the eight who didn't get in, who would have been in the final five, but for the final five who got there, and then for the other five that would have left three standing, that those guys are all going to get in. Well, how do you get all these guys in if you're generating every year another class of guys who are exactly. first-time finalists? I mean, what do you mean... What do you mean we're putting too many in there when, again, the Pittsburgh Steelers have, you know, Mike Webster and Elsie Greenwood and Jack Ham and Joe Green and Mel Blunt. I don't know. Is Donnie Schell in there, too, for God's sake? John no, that's Fowler, the one guy Lynn that isn't. Swan, that Bradshaw, should be. Harris. I mean, the, the, the entire team is in there. And they deserve it. They were dominant in the 70s. What were the Patriots in 01? They're going to get Ty Law, Brady, Belichick, and, you know, maybe Seymour. Hey, why isn't Robert Kraft ever mentioned? Shouldn't he be oh in already? Oh, my God. That is one of the most obscene oversights to... But why? Why has this happened? in there before Kraft. Why? How has that happened? Is it because Jerry Jones relentlessly politic to get in and Robert Kraft won't? And I asked doesn't? him about that last week. We had him on, on the TV, and he intimated that, you know, we don't care about that. We care about championships. But you know they care about that. I mean, Kraft built that team, built, you know, saved the team for the area. Then he built the team with his own money. Um, excuse me, built the stadium with his own money. No PSLs, none of that stuff. You know, hired Belichick after Pete Carroll. You know, it's been it's been really remarkable. Negotiated the CBA in the weeks after his wife passed. Yep. I mean, he's meant he's meant as much to the league as Jerry Jones. I just think Jerry Jones has been a hell of a lot more determined to get in. So they they fired up the machinery to get him in. Absolutely. My wife just came home. All I'm right, I'll up. let you go. Good talk. How go clean, up, go clean up that pile of shit that you sent me a picture of. Thank you for that. It almost Put looks fake. It's a good thing I cleaned it up before the missus came home. It, it almost looks fake. It, hey, at least it was on brick. Good boy. He went on brick. No, he pooped on the hearth. Yeah, but but still, it looks... <laughs> get out. I gotta go. See ya. Hey, all right, bye. There he goes. See you. All right, there he is. Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston. And... Uh, you know, I should probably wrap this up before I do. I got to find my read. I got to do my read. That was a good conversation with Tom Curran. And uh, I'm going to answer a few of your questions before we wrap. But before that, any small business owners out there like me, if you need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading office space, getting access to capital can be incredibly challenging and time consuming. So what you need to do is go to ondeck.com slash PFT. OnDeck is completely and totally committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get your funding as quickly as 24 hours, term loans up to $500,000, lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral. The application process is simple, and it won't impact your personal credit. OnDeck has loaned more than $10 billion to more than 80,000 small businesses. So if you do own a small business like I do and you need access to capital right now, go to ondeck.com. PFT. As a listener to the PFTPM podcast, you will get a free consultation with one of the on-deck U.S.-based loan specialists. Apply online or by phone. Get approved in minutes. O-N-D-E-C-K dot com slash PFT. On-deck.com slash PFT. Get your free consultation now. All right. 
I didn't intend to keep Tom Curran for 55 minutes. I appreciate his time. That gives me less time to answer some of your questions. So let's see what we have here. I found the Prison Vince gif, which is fitting given that Bob Stoops is expected to be named the head coach and GM of the Dallas XFL franchise on Thursday. Got to give it to Vince McMahon and Oliver Luck for understanding that as the AAF is getting ready to launch, let's steal a little bit of their thunder by naming a coach who is more accomplished than any of the eight coaches they've got for the AAF. All, all due respect to those eight coaches, you could combine them and Bob Stoops is more accomplished. I think that gives the XFL a nice little bump as they're a year away from launching all right let's see what we got here i'm not going to answer a lot of them you can re-ask the questions tomorrow and we'll get back to them pftpm posse wants to know will sims be a regular on pftpm for more unfiltered takes i don't know what the full plan is he's going to do a lot of the digital stuff that he did at bleacher report I have said, hey, let's do some more stuff. He's into it. We just need to figure it all out. I don't know that it'll be a regular on PFTPM, but I'll be bothering him from time to time when he has time to call in and we can just shoot the breeze for however long we shoot the breeze. But I think he's into that. In the past, it's been hard to do because he's pulled in two different directions. If you work for two different companies, you get yourself in a pickle from time to time because when you'd like to do something for one company, the other company is saying, we need you right now. Now that he's under one roof, look, anything that we want him to do, we understand he's not going to be, be available to do the other thing. So we're going to have to prioritize internally. But I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to see him in more of the videos that we do after PFT Live. We're going to find some things that we can do together. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, and oh, by the way, right out of the gates, he, he's going to be with me four days a week instead of the three days that he has been doing for the last year and a half. Reverend Markworth wants to know where the NFL needs to find a new metric to figure out how many people are watching the Super Bowl. I was at a Super Bowl party here where seven households were represented with at least 20 people. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. And I don't know how they make those measurements. But that's a fair point. When the Nielsen rating suggests, and we look at the total audience, that less than one-third of the country is watching the game. You have to find a way to figure out who really is watching. And I don't know whether you do some sort of a polling, some sort of a survey, where you get enough people involved that you can extrapolate it out to the full country. But they need to come up with something more, because I, I, I'm astounded that... We have 225 million people who apparently weren't watching the Super Bowl. What are all those people doing during the Super Bowl? Because it's not just being a football fan. It is a cultural event. I mean, for me, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Super Bowl are the three most important days of the year. And to think that more than two-thirds of the country doesn't even care to watch the Super Bowl, much less make it one of their core days of the calendar year, it's just kind of confusing to me. Sergio D., should a dispensation be made to allow Bill Belichick into the Hall of Fame? It looks like he'll coach until his 80s and end up being a posthumous inductee. Look, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with Tom Brady getting in right now. I was telling Peter King, hey, why don't you go to the selection meeting on Saturday, stand up and say, can we just go ahead and put Tom Brady in? Because the argument was made a week or two ago by MDS. The point explained that Brady's essentially had two Hall of Fame careers, separated by that, that 2008 season where he missed everything except one game due to a torn ACL. Pre-2008 Hall of Famer, post-2008 Hall of Famer. Go ahead and put him in for 2000 through 2007. You could do that for Belichick as well. And uh, they, they need to think about that, especially when you have somebody who is committed to coaching for as long as Bill Belichick plans to coach. Players retire in their 30s and or 40s. A coach like Belichick 
You know, Bob Kraft told me two years ago he wants Belichick to coach into his 80s, and uh, maybe he will. And then you got to wait five years after you're done. They it used to be two years. They changed it to five years because they didn't want to put somebody in and have them come back to coach. They were afraid Bill Parcells would do that. So now it's five years after you retire. They're going to have to do something to get Bill Belichick in. I think Belichick, when he retires, should be immediately put into the Hall of Fame without discussion, without debate, and they should do it as a separate ceremony in Canton, Ohio. Don't even wait until August. Just have the bust ready to go. They should just go ahead and measure his head now with those giant calipers and have a bust ready, and the day he retires, put him in because what what's what's i didn't they do that in hockey with like mario lemieux or wayne gretzky like just do it just do it now for belichick and brady and as we were talking earlier with tom curran bob Kraft needs to be in there as well the real forno with the bob stoops hire how does this change your view on the prospects of the xfl look i i i think it helps will it make it financially viable Will it allow it to make enough money to continue through the early years where you're trying to turn a profit? I don't know. I don't know about the AAF or the XFL. I tried to resort to that time in my life when I was a fan. How interested would I be as a fan? I'm interested as a as a an owner of a media company because I have to pay attention to things that people may want information about. Are they going to want information about the AAF? Are they going to want information about the XFL? Are they watching the games? Is it worth my time and effort to put resources toward that at a time when we could be writing stories about the NFL? See, every story we write about the AAF or the XFL is a story we could have written about the NFL. So do people care enough about these other leagues? That's going to be the thing that's very hard for me to gauge properly because the fan in me is still skeptical because how many of these alternative leagues have we seen over the years that we kind of hope end up being successful and they're not I, I remember when the xfl first launched in 2001 i was so excited about it and then i started watching the games and it's like yeah, this isn't really good so will it be naturally and organically exciting will we be intrigued will there be something that happens in a game that makes us talk about it on monday And it has to happen in an organic, natural, authentic way. It can't be forced. And and we'll see whether or not that happens. I mean, the Arena League has been hiding in plain sight for more than 30 years. When do we ever notice anything that happens in an Arena League game? When do we ever care about the outcome of an Arena League championship game? Never. Steph Boyardee, what's for dinner tonight now that you are back into the norm? I don't know. My wife baked chicken last night, and it was excellent. I don't know what we got going on tonight. I don't smell anything yet, but it's still early. Let's see what else we have here again. We've been going for an hour. You can re-ask these questions tomorrow. I think we're going to do it tomorrow. Dirtbag1327 asked a question about the AAF. Basically, it tracks the answer I just provided as it relates to how closely I'll follow the onset, predicated on the interest of the audience. Yes, interest of the audience, quality of the on-field product. And also, we can see how much traffic every one of our stories generates. And if the stories are generating traffic, then we'll do more AAF stories. But again, every AAF and XFL story is in theory one less NFL story that we could be doing. <sighs> Let's see what else we have. I'm trying to find some questions I can answer quickly. This is this is a quantity not quality effort. Uh J. Randall 15, 
will Phil Sims do stuff with you and Chris like he did with Chris and the other guy? I don't know how much Phil did with the other guy. Now, the thing is, Phil's with CBS. We're NBC. As long as Phil's at CBS, I think it gets a little dicey. We were trying to get Phil to come to the set last week, and I never got a clear answer on whether he was or wasn't. And I think part of that is sensitivity to a CBS arrangement, which which is fine. I understand it, but I, I don't know why networks get get antsy about their talent doing things with other networks you're invading some other network space so go do it hey it's it's phil sims from cbs i i I just i don't understand it espn is that way from time to time and and i just i just don't get it terry gensel wants mike Pereira on pftpm soon we will try to do that now that things are going to start to slow down a lot of people asking about the AAF and what kind of coverage we're going to have. That tells me people are at least curious. They're interested. So let's see what happens this first weekend. Let's see what kind of ratings it generates. But again, I'm skeptical. As a fan, I'm skeptical. OP Hernandez 81, can the Steelers be pushing an investigation of Antonio Brown for him to get a suspension or get him into the commissioner's exempt list so they can cut him and don't owe him anything and don't affect their cap? That's not how it works at this point. I don't think you want... Antonio Brown to be in the crosshairs of a suspension because they're trying to trade him. This is not a good development for the Steelers. It will make it harder, not easier to trade him because anybody who is interested in Antonio Brown now has to do their investigation of what happened last month where there was a domestic incident and Antonio Brown wasn't arrested, but there's a police report and the NFL told me today that they are looking into it. You better be sure that you're confident there isn't going to be a suspension. Otherwise, you're not going to devote any type of draft resources, significant draft resources, to bring on a guy who may be in some sort of trouble with the NFL. Sean Alvishire, how did the Raiders get locked into this Levi Stadium, Oracle Stadium, or nothing else debacle? Couldn't they play at Cal Berkeley or another Northern California University, like when the Vikings played at the University of Minnesota? Here's the thing. I guess they could play at Berkeley in theory, but you better wire Berkeley to have that real-time communication with the league office. It's not like the Vikings had a lot of alternatives in Minnesota, and they had time to get ready for it. They knew this was coming. The planning of the stadium was years in advance, so they could throw it together. Now at Levi's Stadium, it's already there. See, what I think is going to happen, and I see it already moving, I see the pieces on the chessboard sliding in the right spot to put the Raiders in checkmate. Okay, they put the 49ers in check by basically saying they play at Oracle Park in San Francisco or they play at Levi's Stadium. So the 49ers will say, okay, Levi's Stadium, that puts the Raiders in checkmate because for the Raiders, between Levi's Stadium and Oakland, I think the Raiders say, screw it, we'll just stay in Oakland for one more year. And all they have to do is get past this idea that they're being sued by Oakland. And as the executive director of the Oakland Alameda County Stadium Authority said earlier this week, this was reported by Michael Gelkin of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, the Stadium Authority isn't suing the Raiders. Oakland is. So Mark Davis is going to have to put that bag down and realize it's in his team's best interest to accept the offer to play in Oakland. It's better than playing at Levi's Stadium, and if Oracle Park isn't going to be available, then so be it. Stephen Wise, 89, care to weigh in on political news in your neighboring state? I guess he's talking about Virginia. Look, I, I haven't paid enough attention to it. It's amazing to me that, that I, I just look at it this way. You can't say it wasn't me after you say it was me. He came out and said it was me. And now he's saying it wasn't me. 
And I think they realize as a practical matter, there's no efficient mechanism to remove him from office. So as long as he keeps his, his head low and his mouth shut, he doesn't get forced out of office. But I don't know why you'd want to continue to exist in office that way. You've been undermined. You've been emasculated. You've got nothing left. You've got no credibility. No one's going to listen to you. Why do you want to keep doing it at that point? Is it pride? It's just amazing to me. So that's all I have to say about it. Stick to football, not politics. I didn't say anything about the State of the Union address. I'm not going to. I'm I'm trying to focus on things that do not stress me out in any way. So we'll stick with football instead. I should probably just ask a few more and go. We're well over an hour today on tour forever asks whether the Raiders could play at Fresno State no I it's going to be Levi's Stadium or Oakland and it's going to be up to the Raiders and I think at the end of the day they are going to pick Oakland Paul Silva PJ5 Paul PJ5 has an interesting note the NFL 100 commercial they have a gold football is the NFL going to use a gold football next season please say no oh my god could you imagine if that's the official ball for 2019 I can't imagine they would do that. Won't they just put something on there that's got gold paint on it? Remember they had the gold logo for Super Bowl 50? It was the gold. I like that. I like the gold shield. That was great. Are we going to have a golden football for 2019? I don't know that that's going to fly. Although I I guess I would get used to it. I just, I think that if if they're going to do it, they better do it now because they better have gold footballs out there for the off-season program. You better get guys to, to a point where they're used to it. All right, we should probably wrap it up. Let me find one more. One more. Um, <laughs> let's see. Question from Matthew Miller. If Foles is tagged, does he get the 18 after the buyout in addition to whatever the tag pays? The 18's gone. The net of 18 is gone. I think that I think you're asking basically what happens to the $20 million option with the $2 million buyout. That's just gone. If they tag him, he gets the tag amount. The 18 is irrelevant. The net 18 is irrelevant. He's paying $2 million to be a free agent. The Eagles would have to pay $25 million to keep him around for one more year or to preserve the ability to trade him. So that, that, that's apples and oranges. All right. Uh, let's see what else. Let me get one more here. One more good one. Um, boy, scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> um. Mm, some prison mic gifts. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. The real Forno is only one red zone play run in Super Bowl 53, the most absurd stat in history. That That is pretty absurd, that it was the Patriots from the two, the touchdown they scored. And, you know, people say that, um, that, that like, it wasn't a boring, so it was a boring Super Bowl. Uh, Trey Wingo blew a gasket about people thinking the Super Bowl was boring. Yes, it was boring. And Super Bowls are on like a scale. There are exciting ones and there are boring ones. They all can't be exciting. We've been spoiled by the fact that they've all been fairly exciting in recent years. And I think we're going to do a draft later this week. I think Big Cat's back on Friday. We're going to draft the worst Super Bowls of all time. And you'll see there were plenty of boring Super Bowls. And it's okay that it was boring. Now, it may not have been the most boring, but all those punts, my goodness. And, uh, and, and yeah, the one play run in the red zone. So, uh, yeah, let's call it there. I've been looking for a, a good way to end it, and uh, sometimes you just have to end it. Somebody wanted to know what movies, Steph Boyardee, what movies did you watch on the plane, if any? I'll end it here. I finished watching the Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix, and there's so much about Ted Bundy that I did not know, 
and it was chilling it was scary it was revolting it was disgusting and it was fascinating and 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 i i couldn't quit watching it so i finished that on the way back on uh on monday so there's your answer there's your podcast we'll do another one this week what tomorrow's thursday i'll do one thursday or friday thanks to tom curran for giving us so much time thanks to you for your ongoing support of pftpm sims for two hours tomorrow on pft live have a great wednesday we'll talk again uh on this podcast at some point later this week but above all else pft around the clock and pft live on thursday morning have a great day you can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.